Marketing success comes from identifying the right opportunities. And sponsoring the Up Next in Commerce podcast might just be the best opportunity you'll hear about today. With tens of thousands of listeners, expert creative, production, and strategic promotion teams at the helm, not to mention millions of impressions at the ready, this is a growth opportunity you should not ignore. Email me at stephanie at mission.org to see how your business can benefit from partnering with the Up Next in Commerce team. When you're a large e-commerce company, speed is paramount because it affects everything from SEO rankings to people actually converting on the website. But I also think you have to very much focus on personalization and creating a customer journey for the user. I think there's two kind of views here. I mean, one, marketing automation is great because it enables you to do so much, but sometimes we lose the human element and we kind of forget that people are still humans. They want to have a communication channel with us. So you want to make sure that you can personalize that experience and tailor that experience as much as you can, but at the same time, you just don't want to overdo it. For more than two decades, Dan McGall has been engrossed in the world of marketing technology. And through the years, there's rarely been a new MarTech tool that Dan hasn't given a shot. Why has he placed such an emphasis on knowing the latest tools available to marketers? Because every company, big or small, needs to invest in tools that will elevate their business rather than slow it down. And some tools are better than others, obviously. And sifting through the rubbish to find the diamonds is a very daunting task. That's where Dan and his company, Magal.io, come in. Dan and I discussed literally dozens of tools that he's testing out, trying, and finding success with right now. On this episode of Up Next in Commerce, Dan discusses all the marketing technology he's bullish on at the moment and why he believes e-commerce companies will be investing heavily in certain tools and operational activities. We dive into campaign tracking, multi-touch attribution, recommendation engines, personalization, and even SMS marketing, which he's really bullish on right now. Dan's tool belt has a tool for you, and he also has some comforting words for anyone who's worried about the potential of a cookie-less future. Enjoy this episode. Up Next in Commerce is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. Respond quickly to changing customer needs with flexible e-commerce connected to marketing, sales, and service. Deliver intelligent commerce experiences your customers can trust across every channel. Together, we're ready for what's next in commerce. Learn more at salesforce.com slash commerce. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Up Next in Commerce. This is your host, Stephanie Postles, co-founder at mission.org. First things first, I would love it if you could hit subscribe and leave a rating and review. Let me know how I'm doing and what you guys are interested in hearing in the future. All right, on to the show. Today, we have Dan McGall, the CEO and founder of McGall.io. Dan, welcome. Hey, how are you today? Good, how are you? I'm doing amazing. I'm living the dream right now, so having a ton of fun. You are. Tell me a bit about McGall. So I was reading about your background and what you were known for, and someone called you the godfather of the marketing tech stack and one of the original growth hackers. So if I'm setting you up big here, let me know. But tell me, how did you get those names and... What does your current company do? Yeah, great question. Um, well, I, I I got those names from other people calling it, which is pretty fascinating to say the least, because uh, I remember the first time that I heard that, I was like, what? Um, but then I kind of uh, caught some legs. So I've, I've been in this space for over uh, 20 years. So I've been doing marketing technology, marketing for since 1998. So I've been doing uh, mass email since before mass email was even a thing. So I just have been around for a really long time. Um, and I've been in the marketing technology space uh, since before there was even a concept known as marketing technology. So definitely have had a long history of doing this. I've been an entrepreneur for a long time, um, even have been 
and another funny fancy title that I was given is I am a United States ambassador of entrepreneurship. I was selected by I the, saw that too. Yeah. I didn't know what that meant though. So I was afraid to put that one out there. Right. Like, so uh, I was selected by the United States state department to be an ambassador of entrepreneurship to Mexico. And I was flown to Mexico and I had to advise a bunch of companies and corporations and colleges on how to build entrepreneurial ecosystems. So it's just been really fascinating. I think that the big thing that I will just say is I have a really big mouth uh, and I'm always out there doing something stupid and I'm not afraid to say how I feel. Um, so it's kind of wound me up in some cool places and I've done some really cool stuff, but, um, yeah, I've, I've had an amazing career, everything from, uh, working at a, a, a cemetery to making pizzas to now, of course, uh, doing some really badass marketing technology stuff. So I hope that helps. So what'd you do at the cemetery? Now you've piqued my interest there. <laughs> yeah, I was in, uh, I we'll think, just have a conversation about that. Now. Yeah. Right. Uh, and that was the creepiest job I've ever had, but so awesome. Uh, I just did, I was a lawns crew person uh, and I weed whacked and I blew leaves. I think I was 14 in middle school, but um, I've always had the hustle. So I just wanted to work and make cash. And um, I mean, I, I started my first company when I was 13 and was very successful in that business. So I've, I've always just wanted to make money. Um, and that's actually how I got into marketing technologies. I saw marketing technology was going to blow up and we, we chose a, a vein in there and uh, stuck with it and it worked out really well. That's cool. So how did you see that area was going to blow up? I mean, you're saying that it was before there was even the terminology around it. Like, how did you see this is an industry I want to get into? And now I know what to actually do to even be helpful. Yeah, fascinating question. So my first company was um, basically in the music business. I was We started one of the first online booking agencies for DJs uh, and producers. So everybody here has probably watched the Fire documentary on Hulu or Netflix. I literally did that same exact business, except for I was not a fraud, uh, which is so fascinating. We started an online um, website and bulletin boards, marketing DJs and producers that basically would do raves. Today, we now call it EDM and it's all this big billion dollar industry. But back then it was like nothing. And I was just young and didn't know what the hell I was doing. And so I said, hey, we're going to figure out how to promote these DJs because I love raves like any what 13 year old goes raves. But either way. Um, yeah, really? Where are your parents? Yeah. Uh, support- <laughs> like, we don't know where Dan went. He's been gone for a week. <laughs> <laughs> supporting me 100 percent. Crazy enough. But um I started that and then um, really started figuring out the internet and none of our competitors were using the internet. They were still just like relationship based. And as we went through that process, I learned a little bit about development, HTML, um, and nobody was doing anything. So, so far in, in like those days, AOL didn't even have a concept of mass email. You had to get whitelisted to send mass email. So I just kind of started doing it to come to find out that there wasn't really any technology back then to do this stuff. So before there was all this tech to be able to make it happen, um, I was already kind of making it happen manually. So um, got really involved. Naturally, Google Analytics, which was Urchin, came out and like ad tech became. And there wasn't MarTech. It was just ad tech at the time, Google Analytics and traffic tracking. Um, I got really big into UTM tracking, which is kind of the first bit of it. So fast forward a, a little bit to like 2000, I think like 11 or something like that. Kissmetrics was a large analytics company. I got hired there as the head of marketing. Uh, I was hired to replace Neil Patel, one of the founders. So I wound up becoming like the head of marketing at one of the the rocket ship analytics companies. But all the stuff in between the middle there was kind of, uh, you just made it up as you went. Uh, And then 2011, 2012 was when MarTech kind of like took off. And I saw that as a humongous opportunity. So I've just kind of have stayed in that industry. Very cool. And what brands do you work with today for context? Yeah, really, really good question. I mean, our, our clients were in, uh, so our company mission is to help companies of all sizes realize that their customer data is their most valuable asset. 
So we work with some really, really small companies uh, all the way up to some really, really big ones. So some big ones that people would know, like King's Hawaiian Bread, we do a lot of their implementation work. We are managing their e-commerce, um, hydro.com, which is like the Peloton of rowing. We do work with them. Some other people might be familiar with like forksoverknives.com. Uh, they were a longtime yeah. client of ours. Uh, we no longer work with them, but we, I mean, we, we help blow them up. Um, these are some really popular brands that people would be aware of. But we also work with um, some of the MarTech companies. So even Kissmetrics has hired us. Segment.com has hired us. Um, Looker, which is owned by Google, has hired us. Mm-hmm. So it's really across the, the board. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Cool. And what kind of challenges do you see the bigger brands struggling with today? And is it kind of similar to maybe with the smaller brands that you work with? Like same kind of thing? Or are they very different problems you have to focus on? I think the problems are, are exactly the same. I think the tactics which are being used are slightly different because the tool uh, set changes. But there's, there's two primary problems that most companies have, and that's when they come to us, which is great, is they either lack visibility into their customer journey or they lack the ability to engage in the customer journey. And this is a pretty um, big problem that every business faces is that they can't see what's happening in that customer journey or they can't act in there. And that's where the marketing stack, which is what our specialty really is, is we help companies basically connect all the tools together, integrate them, operate them, and be able to gain visibility into that journey so they can provide engagement there. And this is one of the biggest problems that you're facing in marketing today because everybody's figured out ad tech. Everybody's filled out or figured out email automation and everybody is kind of trying to figure out analytics now, but there's still this huge middle and bottom that nobody understands. Um, and that's really where our company kind of uh, sits nice and sweetly. So uh, the customer journey is huge right now. I mean, that's what everybody's focused on. Cool. So where do you see companies going wrong right now in the customer journey? Like, are there similar things where you're like, you guys all keep doing the same thing and it's <laughs> messing everything up? Or is everything, you know, very different? All the problems that you maybe discover as you're starting to look into how the uh, the brands are operating. Yeah, I th- I, the biggest thing that we see that's, that's fairly consistent, and it's the thing that no marketer really focuses on, is uh, it's the taxonomy, taxonomy of the integration. So, but like, what does taxonomy mean? So every time that somebody does an action or we learn an attribute about somebody who's coming through our funnel, that's got to have a name to it. It's got to have a a label or um, as you might call nomenclature. We've got to all call it the same thing. And that's a big problem that we see across organizations. And I'll try to put this. If you're working with an online education company, the marketing team is calling it a sign up, but the development team is calling it an enrollment, but customer success is calling it a registration. And the problem is, is when this happens and the data all goes into the systems, you now have three attributes for the same exact action. And it makes it really hard to tie all these things together. So the, the fundamental problem that we see most companies have is that they just don't have a, a consistent taxonomy across the stack. So when they finally start looking at the customer journey, they have it all in different namings. And then they have to spend all their time transforming things to get them to line up. So that foundational thing is the last thing everybody focuses on. But when they get that right um, and it works across the entire stack using a unified taxonomy, which is, sounds so technical, but it really isn't, they really are able to create magic because now everybody is calling um, the first name of a customer by first underscore name in the analytics, but in the attributes you see in marketing automation is F name, right? So um, that's usually the key problem that we see is that taxonomy is wrong. And then the second problem that we see is that the tools are not connected. Yep. So it's funny talking about how the taxonomy is wrong. A lot of people listening might be like, that's so easy. And I'd say for a startup, like starting out, it's very easy if you know to do that from the start. Like, of course, you know, have your variables, make sure they're exactly what you want and train people up, have your data dictionary, whatever you may have so that everyone uses the same term. But actually, when it's a bigger company, which I've seen like back in my Google days, everyone's operating off different things. Like, how do you bring the org together and all the different departments 
to be able to, you know, not only like agree, like this is the variable, but then make sure everyone's using it that way. Cause that's actually a lot trickier than I think some might think. Yeah. It's extremely, extremely hard to get that cross department alignment. And it's fascinating because like, this is the, um, one of the things that a growth team would ultimately help with, uh, is kind of cross department, uh, alignment in regards to these things, but growth is always focused on action, not necessarily planning. So in new companies, uh, or I don't want to say new companies, excuse me, the uh, new role a lot of companies are rolling out is revenue operations, marketing operations, mm-hmm. sales operations. Revenue operations is the big position that SaaS companies are hiring because it straddles across marketing, sales, and customer success. Uh, and that's the big thing that's happening. And I think in a lot of the enterprise companies, you're going to see a lot more of these revenue operations style roles that are coming out to try to align it because everybody's realizing if your data is crap, okay, great. We can't do any of these cool things. This is where a lot of companies are getting their CIOs involved. Um, I think the conversation over the past two years has really shifted away from, hey, we're just talking to marketing technology. So now the CIO calls the shots for all of this because the CIO is the one who makes the decision on business intelligence and all that. So I think a lot of CIOs own the problem. I don't think that they understand the problem because it's outside of their purview, which is sales and marketing. So I think it'll be really, really hard, but it's, it's really important for a company to have good data. And without good data, you can't do machine learning, you can't do artificial intelligence, you can't do personalization. Um, but right now, it's the CIO, which I think needs to hire the CR or the the um, revenue operations person to really get that done. Yep. Yeah. And a side note: if anyone's like, I really want to hear more from CIOs, we have a whole podcast called IT Visionaries where we interview <laughs> CIOs from Fortune 500 companies. So go check it out. So okay, you get your data all set and correct at the company that you're, you know, working with. What's the next thing that you encounter that's either an issue or that you see happening a lot right now? Well, I mean, just to make sure, I mean, the taxonomy, the data dictionary, like you said, which I think is possibly a more common term uh, or a schema. I mean, there's just so many ways to yep. call this, which is ridiculous. The integration of the tools, I think, is really, really important. Um, a lot of companies don't understand the way that tools can now integrate. Um, we have a concept that we call data recycling. You typically see companies that are looking for what's known as we want our source of truth or our single record of truth. And for us, we find that to be a really, really bad model. Um, What you should be trying to do is mirror your data across many, many different tools over and over and over again, and then recycle this data throughout the entire tools. If you have a single record of truth, which is always great, that means that you're helping one team and holding back many other teams. Um, So we try to make it so that we recycle the data as much as we can. And that's through basically data recycling. Um, Leveraging a customer data platform is always really helpful for this. Levering tools like Zapier, leveraging tools like Trade.io or Workato uh, is always really, really good. But you have to string the systems together along in a very, very structured manner um, to make it so that that data can even flow. Because even if you call everything the same, if nothing's connected in the right way, you're still not going to make any progress. So integration is also a key part of that. Yep. Cool. So now thinking about a little bit farther down the line, like maybe when it comes to, you know, actually either interacting with a customer or guiding them around on your website or something, what things can be improved there? Because I've talked to quite a few companies or uh, people on this podcast who say, you know, any plugins, like get away with all the plugins. They just slow your website down. You just need to focus on website speed. But then you were mentioning earlier how much you love tools. And uh, (laughs) so tell me more about that. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think website speed is extremely, extremely important. I mean, when you're a large e-commerce company, speed is is obviously paramount because it affects everything from SEO rankings to people actually converting on the website. But I also think you have to very much focus on personalization and creating a customer journey for the user. I think there's, there's two kind of views here. I mean, one, marketing automation is great because it enables you to do so much. 
But sometimes we lose the human element and we kind of forget that people are still humans. They want to have a a communication channel with us. So you want to make sure that you can personalize the experience and tailor that experience uh, as much as you can. um, But at the same time, you just don't want to overdo it. So we focus a lot on personalization throughout the website, getting people back to where they wanted to be, back to where they left off. And this would be, so as an example, where you don't want to use a plugin because you, you want to let them use their experience. As things are happening on the website, we can track that in real time. We can save that in marketing automation. We can save that in any tool. So when the person leaves the website, we can very easily send them an email saying, hey, picked up where you left off, especially if it's e-commerce, right? Last product that they viewed, and they don't need to add it to their cart. I think it's the stupidest thing that we do. We send cart abandonment emails to people when they add something to their cart because we think they have interest. If you sent people an email which showed them the last five items that they viewed, it adds the same value, right? Just because I added it to my cart, yes, it means I'm interested. Just because I didn't add it to my cart doesn't mean that I, I'm not interested in it. It means I probably have a five-year-old that's distracting me uh, and I didn't get to add it to my cart. So um, we see allowing people to pick up where they left off as a really, really easy thing to do. Um, but personalization and, and helping them accomplish their journey, I think is the biggest thing. Marketer's job is... Um, I come from a developer company where the marketer's job was we were there to manipulate and trick people. And it's like, that's not my job. But a marketer's job, in my opinion, right, is to basically help somebody accomplish their goals by serving them what they wanted in the first place, right? It's to create that magical customer experience, knowing what they already wanted and serving them that on a silver platter, not tricking them to figure out, oh, you should have bought this, right? And I think that's where growth hacking went bad a few years back is it got a little like slimy. And really it's about Mm -hmm. how do we just create the best customer experience for them through personalization? So sometimes when I think about personalization, though, I could see it going too far. Um, And I've talked with this a bit on the show before of like uh, when you call in on, you know, the phone and it's like a robot and they're pretending to type and they're trying to personalize it to your name and they're jacking up your name. Or sometimes you get an email and it's so over the top, like Stephanie, I saw you know, this, this, and this, and it made me thought of you and whatever. I'm like, oh, creepy. Like, how yeah. do you, you know, walk that fine line of giving people something that's helpful, but not being creepy? Yeah. And just because you're using the word creepy, it brings back some awesome, I have a, a webinar and deck that I did before COVID happened. I was traveling the country doing this talk, um, but automation without being creepy. But what does creepy really Ooh, mean? Good title. Um, yeah. So what I advise everybody who's listening to this podcast, oh, grab your cell phone and I need you to go to your text messages and I want you to text 415-915-9011. I'll just say it number again, 415-915-9011. And I just want you to text the word creepy to that number and then follow along with the text prompt. There's a bot that will follow along with creepy. And then if you're really, really well known on the internet, you're going to get a super creepy email um, that will surprise you on what the internet already knows about you and that we have access oh. to just through your, your email. So either way, nice experiment for your people to go try, but, um, I want to do that now. Now I'm, that piques my interest. I don't know if I'm well known enough on the internet though. Yeah. We'll see. It'll pull things from like Facebook. I'm like, here's what you were doing, Stephanie, back in okay. high school. Yeah. We, uh, we'll see. I mean, and usually we, the, the minimum that you're going to get is like, we get your zip code, right. Or it might have your wrong mm-hmm. zip code, but there's for myself, it had over 300 attributes. And I was like, Holy crap. The internet knows way too much about me. But that being said, you do follow this, this line of creepiness to straddle. Right. And you, you have to understand like, Target, as an example, can predict with nearly 90% accuracy that you're going to be pregnant um, within three months or you are pregnant within three months. Like, And that's crazy yeah. data science that you have. And that, that blurs the line of creepiness. What you have to understand is that you don't want to uh, impact life moments like that always. You don't want to precede those things. 
But what you have to figure out is how do you understand what they're looking for and then just serve that element to them? Uh, because with an email address and with your, your um, IP address, we can basically find out anything we want, which is really, really terrifying to think about. So you have to make sure that you're just superseding um, what somebody's probably already looking for. Um, and there's definitely enrichment that you can get. So knowing that it's raining in somebody's area and sending them an email is not necessarily a bad thing, but you don't need to tell them that you know it's raining, right? Like yeah. don't say, hey, yeah. it's raining, you should buy an umbrella. But yes, it's okay to send them umbrellas and uh, rain boots and things like that, which uh, Banana Republic knows how to send emails based upon that, but they don't say it's raining. Um, so there's a lot of ways that you can be helpful to somebody without telling them that what you're doing. But I mean, you can be really creepy if you want to. I mean, I think that it sounds simple, but I like that where it's, you know, you have all this information, but you don't have to be like, hey, here's the zip code you live in. And apparently there's this festival going on right now. Like <laughs> you can <laughs> send something where it's like, oh, how'd you know? Cool. Okay. Like, you know, that's helpful because now I know of an event or whatever nearby without you saying, I know exactly your, you know, the attributes of why I'm sending you this email because of this or whatever. So, yeah. That's interesting. There's, a, there's an API for that too. When you talk about the events, I immediately think of companies that have APIs that allow you to have events in people's areas. So definitely an, an API for that nowadays. There you go. So what are some of your favorite tools that you're using where you're seeing the big, biggest success with right now? And it can be marketing tools. It can be stuff around like, you know, helping the customer journey. I mean, what comes to mind where you're like, oh, 2021, I'm really leaning into these things or we're implementing these things on our customers' websites. Yeah, so there, there's probably... Um, Two, two primary areas that I would go with. One, I'm super big fan of text message marketing, but I think a lot of companies get it wrong in the fact that they use it as a promotional channel um, and they use it as spray and pray. So I think text is really, really big. Um, we use a software called Autopilot, which is our marketing automation tool. They have an integration in with Twilio so you can build a Twilio bot. So earlier I said, hey, text this number and text this word to it. It adds you to a subscription list and then it will automatically send you information and it can talk back and forth with you. And those types of technologies are where you really get some interesting engagement from consumers um, in regards to your services. Um, so it definitely is a really unique channel, but I wouldn't say that that's something that you would leverage on your website all the time. Um, however, as somebody's going through your checkout flow and you collect their, their cell phone information, this is a way that you can reach out to them. Hey, we, we shipped your order to you and it has arrived today, right? Provide them helpful tips and then say, hey, you received your order on a scale from one to five. How did it arrive? And things like that. And providing this two-way communication channel is really, really uh, good for uh, consumers. It gives them a communication channel. You do have to connect it to a support system and things like that. But customers really find it unique when you're trying to have a two-way conversation with them compared to like, buy my 20% off thing. People hate getting those yeah. spam promotions. They, they hit stop more than you would like to think. Um, so I think that for me, leveraging the, the SMS bots, whether that be through auto or autopilot, um, and I, I think there's a company called TextIn, which does really, really good there. There's another company called salesmsg.com. And no, I'm not talking about the Panda Express MSG, but salesmessage.com. Um, they're more integrated with HubSpot or more meant for sales teams, but they work really, really good for customer support too. So text is huge for me. Well, how do you think about engaging people in text? Because that's an issue where, I mean, I even think about like, world market right now just sent me a text this morning like oh 20% off they send it to me like every week I'm like yeah. is every week 20% off week I don't like I start to lose interest and I just haven't had the time to hit stop yet but yeah like how do you think about building a flow that's going to keep your customer actually engaged and excited to see your text coming in so they feel like it's a two-way thing instead of just blasting them with promotions yeah it's it's got to be really personalized and this is why when we think about text message, we think about it from a helper perspective, right? So 
Um, we have to think about like the things that are going to optimize their customer experience, not the things that are going to help us, right? Help sending somebody a 20% discount is not helping them. That's helping us. So when we think about the, the change in that fundamentals is of course, like when somebody's coming through your website, like, Hey, you can, of course, Hey, do you want to be updated with uh, sales and promotions? Right. But I would, I would target it more that, Hey, do you want to be made aware when we launch new skirts or, Hey, do you want to be made aware when we do these specific things and try to only send the messages, which they're requesting, which is going to help them in the, whatever they're trying to accomplish. And you get unique opportunities. Like when somebody's going through the checkout experience, right? Like, Hey, do you want us to keep you aware of certain things that they're already interested in? Or, Hey, do you want to be uh, shipping notifications? Do you want us to keep you aware of your shipping notifications? And those are good ways to get people going, but asking questions is going to get you much more than, hey, here's 20% off, right? So yeah. um, I think asking questions, that's where the bot part comes into play, um, is asking the question, like, do you feel that our customer experience uh, is optimal? Can you reply back with a one to 10 on how your checkout experience was? People will respond back with a seven or a two or a five. That's the interaction they're looking for, not, hey, here's 20% off, right? Yeah, unless you're walking the door. That's when I always think I'm like, if I walk into the door of a retail yeah. location and then I get that text, cool, <sighs> I'm happy with it. So but if possible. you're just sending it to me when I'm at home, yeah, it is so possible. I know, I'm like, they've got the beacons and the stores, you yeah. can do it. Like there's so many ways to do it now, but I don't see many brands, at least retail locations doing that quite yet. But maybe I just don't go into retail stores, obviously. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the retail stores are hard. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think if anybody on this podcast wants to do that, uh, let's do that. Because I know how to do that, uh, leveraging radar, <laughs> mobile apps and all that stuff. So like, totally cool. I think my favorite campaign was by Burger King. They said, if you are within uh, 500 meters of a McDonald's, um, we will send you a free coupon for a free Whopper and you have five minutes to buy it. So if you had the Burger Ooh, King app, good. came within 500 meters or so, I think it was even maybe a hundred yards of a McDonald's, you would get an instant push notification. You have five minutes to get your free Whopper. <laughs> Holy crap. Like, I mean, can we say contextual? Yeah, th that stuff's all possible. I agree with you. If I walked into JCPenney and JCPenney sent me a 10% off discount, um, I would totally use it. We were working with a um, an ice cream retailer, which I can't unfortunately say their name. They're trying to create a loyalty program, but they couldn't figure out how to do it. And we're like, dude, just put a freaking number on the side of your building that says text loyalty now to this number and you're in our loyalty program. Um, and then connect that to beacons and you can do more stuff with it. Connect it to your app and do more stuff with it. And uh, unfortunately, Did they, they do it. No, they didn't listen because wow. they were too traditional. Who needs technology? Yeah. Um, either way. Yeah. But um, that stuff is, is super powerful. That'd be a really good thing to do now that I'm in Austin area. So, hey, anyone listening from Austin, give Tacos. me a shout out. I'm here now. Yeah, but that's a good area to do that because there's so much, you know, uh, like artwork and graffiti that turns into artwork on all the buildings out here. But people pay attention to it. So I think it does mm -hmm. depend on the city you're in of like, are people open to that or will they see it and be like, man, there's like writing on a building. Ew. Yeah. You know, I think text is awesome. I mean, you just, people suck at it. Like, and I think people suck at most uh, marketing in general. They just try to spray out there and hope for the best. So the, the one other technology, there's, there's two technologies that we're testing a lot right now. One is called ConvertFlow, um, ConvertFlow.com, which is really, really good. The other one is WriteMessage. And both of the technologies are relatively, relatively the same. They're a pop-up technology that happens in your website, except for they're integrated in with your marketing automation solution. And they also track a lot of what's going on the website. So you can provide um, real-time personalization to the website based upon what people clicked or what people did. And 
for anybody who follows the B2P space, there's like these drift um, chatbots. So if somebody comes to the site, a pop-up comes up, what is your goal today? Did you want to see a demo? Do you want to see this? You want to see this? People click on it. And then only the chatbot is able to control like what happens next. The difference with these technologies, uh, specifically ConvertFlow, is that when those types of things come up, you can click on something, it will drive you different places on the website, but it can also change the headline copy of the page. It can also change like things that are happening. So if somebody comes back and be like, welcome back, Dan, we hope that we were able to uh, help you in your last visit. Last time you left off, you were looking at socks. Let's go look at socks again, right? Um, or is there something else we can help you find? And then, of course, you can constantly be contextually changing the experience for that user. For us, ConvertFlow has one of the most powerful engines to it. Super cheap. Um, these two twins created the platform. Super, super cool guys. But they're really good at that. And then the flip side would be Write Message, which Write Message is more of a kind of a chatbot-esque. It doesn't change your website, but it does constantly provide you personalization to push people down the funnel based upon what they said. Cool. Like, How many tests should a company be running to see what works? And then how much should they like pull it back and narrow it down to? Yeah, man, you should be running tons of tests. I mean, there's a linear line between the number of tests that you run and as well as the growth that you can create at a company. Um, so I, I would just say you should run as many as you possibly can that you can hit statistical significance with. Speaking of which, we have a tool for that. If you Google uh, AB testing calculator Chrome extension, go check it out. It'll help you know if you have statistical you significance. But um, yeah, I mean, really, um, you should be running tests all the time. You shouldn't be launching anything that's not a test in our opinion. That's a big part of our business. So companies like Hydro, um, we run all of their A-B testing experiments and we're always running tests, right? So like uh, for me, you should not be doing anything unless you're testing it. The, the thing that I will just add as a caveat of that is you have to have enough uh, traffic to run the test. You have to hit mm -hmm. statistical significance and you have to know what you're doing from a data perspective because false positives, I lost the company $125,000 in 24 hours because I had a false positive. I made a mistake. Luckily, this is a long well. time ago. But um, what was the false positive? Tell me the story or backstory of that. Yeah, I mean, a great problem that you have is that people only focus on one metric. So when you create an A-B test, the test, I worked at a company called codeschool.com, going back to that developer-centric company. We were an online education company for developers. We created an experiment called the summer uh, school campaign or summer camp campaign. And I had optimized the A-B test for signups um, and then purchases. The problem was, is we didn't optimize the test for lifetime value. Lifetime value was 75% less on the winner of the test. So we saw an immediate increase in conversions. We got super, super excited. Come to find out that those users were 75% less valuable based upon that test. So um, there's a thing known, uh, you have to basically reverse look at tests. So when they've been running for two months, go back and look at that to see if it hurt lifetime value, it hurt retention, anything like that. But um, we basically had just wrote a, a headline, which wasn't 100% true to the developer, like it wasn't 100% in line. So they wound up churning after their first, I think it was two months. The other users who didn't see that headline stuck around for like six months. So it was just- So was the headline, it made them think it was something that it wasn't where they came yeah. in? Okay, got it, yeah. That's where the developer said that we manipulate people. And it was like, no, we just had a misalignment in regards to what we wrote. I wasn't trying to manipulate somebody, but either way, yeah, that's marketing. Well, that's, I mean- to me, that's just always a good reminder that, you know, all of this is a long game and anything that's focused on like a quick hit and trying to pique someone's interest and get them in, like it's probably not going to work out long term. And if anybody knows of Kiss Metrics, that was the whole reason why the company went out of business and got sold to a private equity firm is there was too many people at the leadership level that were focused on quick hits. Um, and it's what put us out of business. You've got to have a good mix of short-term and long-term focus and why we've been so successful and are still successful even at our company and our clients we focus on the long-term as much as we do on the short-term. Yep. 
Yeah, very cool. So when thinking about marketing and you know all these data attributes that you can have on your customer, how do you think about a potential cookie-less world? Oh, it doesn't bother me at all. Cookies, whether you like it or not, the cookie's not going to die. Uh, it's third-party cookies they're talking about, which are going to die. Yeah. Uh, it's not first-party cookies. The problem that people don't understand is we've already we've already come up with millions of solutions to create better first-party cookies, which um, we hide third-party cookies behind. So, I mean, we just had a whole debate about this last week. CNAME cloaking and proxies and all this stuff. There's there's already a ton of ways to kind of um, hide it and change it. The cookie's not dying. It's just the way that the cookie gets used is what they're saying is going to die. But um, cookie-less world is, is going to happen. Uh, it isn't necessarily going to be... Um, I almost want to say it's a falsehood that the cookie is going to die because you can't completely kill a cache in a user's browser about what we know about the user or you'll break the internet. And the internet is not prepared to completely get rid of all those technologies. So there's always going to be a hack around it. Uh, We have a technology called UTM.io that we use for campaign tracking. So if anybody out there uses UTMs, they have a stupid UTM spreadsheet. Um, We solve that problem. But the real problem is, is that the technology is now making it so that we don't even, before you even get to the website, we know who you are. So that's all going to be passed to the website through URL parameters. And there's all kinds of hokey stuff there. So I guess like I'm not that stressed, if that makes any sense. So why are other people so stressed? Because I listen to different ad tech podcasts and other marketing shows. And yeah. I mean, there's been so many conversations where people are stressing about it. So like, why are you so chill about it? Then they are so worried. Yeah. I th- well, one, if you're an ad tech company, um, Apple's out to cut your throat, right? Like there's just no way around it. Um, Facebook is uh, in a complete battle with Apple, which I think one, it, Apple is totally doing this for a promotional stunt because their job is to own your data, right? Like mm-hmm. don't let them them fool you. They know every single thing you do and they hold it on. It's the reason why they're one of the most valuable companies in the world is they know every single action you do. So for a Facebook, it's definitely really, really concerning because they have to be able to get companies like, and I'll just use one of our clients, King's Wine, to figure out how to do C name cloaking and proxy changes and stuff like that, which is really, really hard. But if you're if you're using myself as like your consulting firm, like that's our job is to figure that stuff out and to solve those problems for you and to deal with it. So I guess like for me, I'm not stressed because that's what we do. But for mm-hmm. the ad companies, like how the hell do they get everybody else to know how to do that, right? They've got to teach yeah. mission.org how to, how to load a advertising pixel in this certain way. And there's no way that mission.org is going to figure that out unless they hire me. So that would be the reason why there's the big difference is I actually know how it works. Most people have no idea how any of this stuff works. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good then. So then no one has to be worried and just hire someone who can help you is... Sounds like the uh, gist of it. The the general thesis of it. It's a lot of, ser- and it's expensive. It's a lot of service that stuff. So, I mean, the problem is, is that 95% to 98% of the internet is not going to be able to understand it or fix it. Um, and that's where a lot of people are really panicking on how do we get this done? But there's there's always a hack. Yeah. And at a certain point, though, I wonder if Apple is going to have to change the way they do things. I mean, I know they have been like ruling the market for a long time, but I see now that they're trying to get into something like podcasting and they have big competitors out there, you know, who already know how to do podcast advertising and they know how to show the dynamic ads and, you know, actually showcase metrics to the mm. advertisers. Like there's so much competition when it comes to that. I can see Apple having to change the way they do things and provide more data and show the ROI instead of being like, you know, the black box of like, eh, just put it on here. And like, it's in your best interest because we're a big platform. 
Well, we have to remember that they did invent the podcast and that came from the they iPod. Did. So, but um, they did, yep. they're, they're allowed to, I mean, I think when you have that dominance, you're allowed to be slow to things. I mean, when we think mm-hmm. back, I used to run a bunch of mobile app companies and like, they sucked at giving us data about the mobile apps and we had to figure out all these other things. But when you're the gateway to the rest of it, right. Um, when you're, when you're the heroine of the drugs, right. You can be a little late to solving your problems. And that's unfortunately how Apple is. So they're going to be late to the party, but when they step on the throat of anybody else, like they, they make changes. And, and I think the easiest way to think about it, does anybody remember the QR code and it hasn't gone anywhere, but all the QR code apps, there's none yeah. of them. They're gone because yeah. it's part of your camera now. So when when it's Apple, funny how you forget about that, like yeah. I remember being like, oh, which QR code app is the best one that I need? And it's like they're all the same. Just like pick one. And now none of them are around, just like the calculator yeah. apps. And like when Apple wants to in, in our business, one of the things that we try to help our customers figure out, and this is something I hope all your podcast people listen if you've never read the book, Crossing the Chasm, it's a really, really good read. But you have what's known as basically these innovators, which are out front. Most innovators die, right? Like they just don't live forever. And what we've recommended to our clients is be the early majority, right? Don't be the person always out trying to be a hipster because then you wind up finding out that like, hey, this stupid business idea blows up. I mean, I, I was put out of business one time by Facebook changing a feature. Like, oh my God, I can't believe Facebook changed a feature. I went out of business. There's definitely things that other big companies, when you build on their platform, you have to be aware of that if they just decide to get into that space, you could go out of business um, or you could not have a feature which your business is around. We always recommend people don't always try to be the innovator. Wait for there to like be something solid. Wait for something to be proven. Wait for something to be figured out because if you're always going from the next hot flip to the next hot flip and you're always a hipster, um, you're going to spend 10x more money than I am and I'm going to still make the same amount of money if not more than you. And that's that's always fascinating. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I also recommend that book and it's come up a few times on here. It's a really good one. Yeah. How do you think about companies relying on a platform? Because I see so many brands right now just launching on Amazon, for example, and not even worrying about building out their own website presence or even developing their own community. Like, how do you think about that? Well, I think my opinion would be different if they would have been doing that 15 years ago, right? But um, yeah. if you've ever read the book, um, The Everything Store about Jeff Bezos, just understand so he uh, is coming for your throat too. I mean, they're just like Apple. If you read what they did to the um, book publishing industry, um, like, holy crap, like, wow, they they completely uh, gutted that industry. So um now, I mean, there's not much you can do about it. You have to play with it. But I think it's definitely imperative that you create your own online presence. And I think this is where Shopify is trying to come fill a void um, is there is definitely you have to do both at the same time, because at any time, Amazon is going to come out with Amazon basic of your product and you're done. Yep. They've done it hundreds of times, if not thousands of times. So you do have to build your own kind of side sliver as a brand. And I think the best book that I've, I think I've ever read, which has made me understand not only my childhood and why I'm, uh, I am the way I am as an adult, is the book Anti-Fragile. It's such a great book, um, but you have to have optionality. And if you put all of your cards on Amazon, well, you don't have any optionality. And I think mm-hmm. creating those options is uh, a huge business. I mean, I read 40, 42 books last year. So like, we want to get into like talking about all the cool things that I learned just last year on that stuff. But optionality is huge. Like, I think it's really, really important. Yeah. So. 
Yeah, we had a great guest on from, um, let's see, it was Taylor Holiday from, I think, something collective. I can't remember what his company was, but he said, you need to figure out how you can basically win even when you're wrong. So when, like mm. when your models are wrong, which to me, I'm like, yeah, you're talking about being anti-fragile and, you know, making sure that you won't fail, even if your models, you know, set you in the wrong direction, how can you still benefit and have upside, which I thought was really interesting to frame it that way. Yeah, and I think in the in regards to the platforms, and, and I'll try to bring this back uh, to like the marketing technology platforms, there's a lot of optionality that you can look at and you need to have a backup plan to your backup plan in regards to marketing technology tools. I mean, Marketo got bought by Adobe and that's going to revolutionize the way their product works. And I mean, there's a lot of things in Marketo that suck already and Adobe buying it just means that it's going to slow down, right? So you have to be prepared to be able to say, what's my backup plan to Marketo? Um, and if I was to switch, what is that going to take? And that's one reason why we recommend a lot of companies to leverage customer data platforms because it makes switching easy. But then you run into the same problem. Well, if you have a customer data platform and all of my data goes to the CDP, well, what happens when that CDP gets acquired, right? Um, what happens when Twilio buys Segment for $3.2 billion? Um, How does that change my, what's going to happen to the CDP? So you just have to ask those questions like, what are my other options uh, with these platforms when I choose it? And how much am I baked into this tool? And if I lost this tool tomorrow, what would it take to replace it? Yeah. Yeah, really good to have a mindset like that and be thinking about all angles. So really good. So from a general e-commerce standpoint, what kind of trends are you guys preparing for in 2021? Well, first one, I was just going back, uh, the death of the cookie. Uh, yeah. So uh, or apparently you're not preparing at all. You're like, I'm good. <laughs> no, we're. To- I mean, we to- we started. Pre- I mean, if Google the death of cookies, Maga.io, and we we wrote a blog post about this a year ago. Um, so we've been tracking this for a long time. I think that the biggest thing that we are focused on, the biggest thing that we see in e-commerce right now, everybody wants to do multi-touch attribution. Everybody's trying to figure out how do they do multi-touch attribution to better align their um, return on ad spend. Because the key problem that you have is all these retailers are spending millions of dollars a year on advertising spend. And then if they look in Facebook, they see a conversion. In Google, they see a conversion. And LinkedIn or whatever the platform, they see a conversion. And they're attributing one sale to five different conversions. So they're really trying to say, we understand that those five conversions we see in these different platforms are from one purchase, and we need to be able to pull all that data together. Um, so multi-touch attribution is huge. We're extremely well-known in that space, so a lot of companies are working with us on that, but it, it, every company is a unique snowflake for multi-touch attribution. Recommendation engines are probably the other thing that we see a lot of companies really trying to figure out. Um, there's a cool technology called BlueShift, uh, really, really good for e-commerce, especially if you have thousands of products. They use machine excuse me, machine learning to consume your um, catalog and then um, also use machine learning to distribute that catalog as a recommendation to people based upon the best channel that suits them at the best time for them. Um, BlueShift is, crushes it. Great technology. Josh, the CMO is a, or CGO, Chief Growth Officer, is a good buddy of mine. Um, so we see a lot of the trend in regards to how do we make proper recommendations on the right channel at the right time uh, with the right message. And then the last thing would just be customer data platforms. So those are the big three trends. I mean, the one of the reasons why we're crushing it right now is like we know CDPs better than almost anybody else, customer data platforms. And customer data platforms, mm-hmm. it's not a fad. It's not a trend. Um, it really is the future on how you need to manage your data and your customer data specifically. So those would be the three big things that I would lean on for 2021 and going especially into 2022. Cool. So you were just mentioning channels. What kind of channels are you guys most bullish on right now? Maybe... Are there any new ones out there? We've had a lot of people mention TikTok. You and I were talking about Clubhouse earlier. Like, is there anything that you guys are kind of shifting your focus towards and trying out? 
Oh, I love TikTok, man. I they so yeah. they tried to hire me as a brand ambassador, and I so wanted to do it, but we had to turn them down. And I love TikTok. I spent so much time on there; it's ridiculous. Um, I, think, I do too. It's great. I think TikTok is great. Uh, really, really cheap channel, but you got to learn how to do it. So, but it's a it's a harder curve. So I think that's good. I think that there's a lot of YouTube. Oh my God, YouTube, 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 YouTube. We we haven't even hit how valuable YouTube is. I mean, they're going to be ridiculous. So I, I think between those two channels, figuring out video is going to be really, really important for companies across the mm-hmm. channels with TikTok and YouTube. I think if you can't figure that out in the next five years, you're, you're really going to struggle. There's a cool tool called Fleek, F-L-E-E-Q.com, which will help you do that for video. So I think YouTube and TikTok are huge if you want to be successful. I think there's some other really surprising ones. Like I always try to tell people you should invest more in Bing. Bing's really cheap. Uh, I always think that's always really, really good. Influencer. I haven't heard Bing yet. That's a yeah. <laughs> okay. It's just so cheap. Um, not as much much volume, but just the the per dollar comparison is good. And the last one that I'll just say is direct mail. Like, oh my gosh, it's so cheap. Like, well, I just what are you guys doing in direct mail right now? Because that was also something I've brought up a couple times. Of like, so many people are now at home, and I am delighted when I get mail. That's not something spammy where I can actually, you know, look through a great catalog and like, oh, this is actually cool stuff. And I always mention the Trader Joe's pamphlet where I'm like, they have really fun content that also sells their products as well. But it's I mean, I look forward to that one. So how are you guys approaching the direct mail piece? Yeah. So we um, so depending upon what the integration, I mean, there's a company called Lob.com, which makes direct mail really, really easy. Um, and we leverage autopilot as our automation tool. And we've been able to, I mean, personalize uh, tons of stuff in regards to giving people recommendations. We are able to literally write text on the postcard saying the technologies they use through data enrichment. So there's a lot of stuff that you're able to do there. But we have to remember is like sending somebody a thank you card or a birthday card in the mail as direct mail, like happy birthday. It's your, it's your birthday coming up soon, right? Like that's not hard, but people love it. And with COVID, I think the best quote that I had somebody say to me in the COVID, the most exciting part of my day is walking to the end of my driveway and collecting my mail. And I was like, what? Yep. So I think it's just a great medium to use. And if you build it as part of your automated personalization journey, I mean, once again, uh, you don't have to know it's raining in somebody's area to send them direct mail, right? But you can mm-hmm. know that it's going to snow two weeks ahead of time, or there's a good possibility. You can send them uh, a coupon for snow boots, right? Like I just, the options are endless. I think it's great. Hey, you abandoned your cart and you left these three things on and you you print like three things on there. I mean, the personalization is really, really crazy and awesome. Yep. Yeah. Very cool. All right. So we have a quick lightning round brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. This is where I'm going to ask you a question and you have a minute or less to can answer. I admit Are I'm you scared? ready, Dan? I can I admit I'm scared? Yeah. <laughs> you can admit it. Yes. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'll start with the easier ones first. So you sound like a little bookworm. What are the next three books on your list? Oh, next three books. I don't know. I'm not prepared for that one. I think Atomic Habits. <laughs> I usually ask one, but I'm like, that's too easy for you. You get, you have to tell me three. Yeah, I'm slacking on my book thing because I, I had a goal at the end of the year to hit uh, 20 books and I demolished it. So I could probably say my last three books, but um, Atomic Habits, uh, Billionaire Plan and Maverick. Those are the three books that I want to finish uh, right now. Cool. Where are you traveling to next when we can travel again? more easily. Oh, well, that's an easy one. I fly to Snowshoe, West Virginia in less than four weeks to go snowboarding again. Uh, and I'm super excited for that trip. I traveled multiple times during COVID. So yeah, I mean, I have too, but some people are heaven. So if you were to have a podcast, what would it be about? And who would your first guest be? 
Uh, we are in the process of creating a podcast. It will be called The Stack, and we'll be talking to VPs of marketing and CEOs about their marketing technology, sales technology, and customer success technology. My first interview is hopefully going to be with mission.org and figuring out how you guys manage your marketing tech stack. All right. Yeah. Bring us on. And we also have a whole marketing trends podcast where we interview CMOs. So then we'll have to bring you on that one as well. I think that'd be great. I think it'll be a lot of fun. This has been awesome. You are amazing at this. Good, good work. I thought this was fun. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, we talked about in the beginning, what was our, our line was just don't be generic. So yeah, <laughs> I think that was a good motto of our interview. All right. Two more questions. What's the nicest thing anyone's ever done for you? Uh, my godfather took me for my first snowboarding lesson when I was like eight years old. Uh, it's the best memory I think of my entire life. Cause it's something I've used forever. Oh, I like that. All right. And then what one thing will have the biggest impact on e-commerce in the next year? And it can't be the three things that you mentioned earlier. Oh, come on. The next biggest <laughs> nope. thing in e-commerce that's going to happen. Um, Amazon will start to die. Um, they're going to yeah. get, I think, uh, Amazon is going to get split up because Jeff Bezos will want to do it. I think that's going to be one of the biggest things that happens in e-commerce in the next five to 10 years though. I don't know how long that's going to take, but I think, um, that and Congress realizing that Amazon, uh, is they're too big. Yeah. All right. Well, that's a good answer. I'm glad that I punted the other three. <laughs> so you had to think of a new one. All right, Dan, well, this has been an awesome interview. Thank you for not being generic. Where can people yeah. find out more about you Yeah. So definitely you can go to magal.io, but um, I'm most active on LinkedIn. So go to LinkedIn and search up Dan Magal. There's, uh, there's three of us, but you'll be able to find my pretty face. Uh, go there and uh, send me a connection request and play along. Um, I've got over 25,000 followers there and I try to stay active. Amazing. All right. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you very much. it's Stephanie. Before we get into the episode, I would love it if you could hit subscribe and give the show a rating and review. I really want to know what you think and hear how we're doing. All right, on to the interview. Up Next in Commerce is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud and created by the team at mission.org. Subscribe now at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.